Is This Your Playlist is part of the Anchor FM network, and we can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and the Anchor mobile app. It's Kedrick, and you are listening to Is This Your Playlist? Um, I've given Mark the day off today, and uh, you're in the, uh, you've got pop royalty here today. He is a singer, an actor, a writer, an all-around nice guy. Please welcome Tom Lowe. Thank you, Kedrick. What an introduction. I'm blushing. Thank you. Same to you. Sweet man. And where, and where are you located at this point, Mr. Tom? I'm located in the town of Kailua on the island of Oahu, Hawaii. <laughs> Did you even know that? <laughs> um, I'm not sure did what I tell you that already? Over. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let me, uh, let me, yeah. let me, let me give the, the listeners some, some background. So, uh, Tom Hale's from Stockport and uh, actually a town called Meller, which is in the outskirts of Stockport, Stockport right? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't act like I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll talk about like his claim to fame a little bit later, but Tom, tell me, um, tell me how your early life was, you know? Like, um, did you always act or did you say Early life, early life, like, um, yeah, so I think I was five when, um, I played the role of the Angel Gabriel in a, in a school production of Nativity, and I had the little quiet boy robes, the little frog, and the rosy red cheeks, and I sang, um, some pretty challenging songs, and it was apparent. I, I, you know, I had a musical ear, and I, and I just killed it. I was a little five-year-old who was just, like, singing like an angel, wowing everyone, and, and so... <laughs> So um, my mom, she put me and all, all three of my siblings in the church choir. And so we can all sing. Actually, my sister is a professional opera singer and, and my two brothers have great voice too, even though my parents are not musical at all. Yeah, yeah. so so we grew up in this little town, this little village, English village called Mella in the county of Cheshire. And it's just as you imagine. So you, so you, um, you were background singers for for a little band in 1995. Yeah. Want to tell us who that was? Yes. So at the time, I was um, in my last couple of years at Manchester Grammar School, and my singing teacher there was part of an all male choir based in Manchester. We were asked to sing backup for Take That which was very exciting for me because I was a huge fan, especially of Gary Barlow at the time. And so this happened in 
in the summer holidays of, of 95. And a lot of the members of the all-male choir were, <clears throat> were busy on family holidays and they weren't able to do it. And I guess they, they were a bit older, so they didn't realize the scope of what this was, take that. And, and, uh, and my singing teacher asked me and my friend uh, David to, if we wanted to fill in for these, these missing choir members. And I also asked my old brother and the, the three of us performed um, in the finale of the concert um, in Manchester Arena. And we went down to Earl's Court in London um, I was actually at the uh, one of the Earl's Court shows. Were you? Oh, you so you saw me. I think I was like seventeen. I think I was seventeen. I yeah, I probably wouldn't yeah. have noticed you because Gary. Yeah, we, Gary was. There. Oh, well, <laughs> Gary was there, and and one of the exciting parts was we. So we were revealed by this doors that kind of went up to reveal Gary Barlow on a grand piano and we were singing around him in a semicircle. But before we sang, he would sing this solo, um, holding back the tears. Mm -hmm. And it was one of my favorite songs it's on the um, Never Never Forget album. Um, nobody else album, right? Nobody else album. And, um, and I swear he made eye contact with me whole thing and I was just <laughs> just like Gary's singing to me <laughs> not these 15,000 people screaming girls no he's singing it to me it's all about me <laughs> yeah you know what we have we definitely have that in common um Gary is, <laughs> Gary's the man he always yeah. has been he always will be yeah so all right, so then, um, so you're 17, I guess, and um, so was there an ad put out somewhere, or how did the how did the TV show come about? Oh yeah, so I was on the school bus, and my friend Sarah Daniel told me that she had seen this um, famous pop manager Tom Watkins on a TV show called News Round, which kids news, news TV show and, it, and he was putting together a, a pop act and she told me that she thought I should audition for it. I had to put together a cassette of me singing a few songs. I sang um, Empty Chairs and Empty Tables from Les Mis and I think I sang um, a Queen song, Show Must Go On and also I sang uh, the East 17 song, Stay Another Day. I put them on a cassette and then Sarah helped me take some photographs where she was like, okay, we're gonna wet your hair, we're gonna go to this graveyard, you're gonna wear a black t-shirt, you're gonna like do this pose and you're gonna have a waistcoat and you're gonna kind of pull it off the shoulder and be real serious and kind of pouty. And we sent these, uh, we were kind of teasing, but I guess it worked because, um, yeah, soon after I went down to London for a screen test, and then I kept, they kept on asking me back down and yeah, and that's how it all started. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, from what I, from what I can gather, you know, the TV show, like, it's almost like what came first, the TV show or the band. So when you guys went in, mm. when I went in, yeah. when you guys went yeah. in the TV show, was it? 
like you guys are going to be a band too or were you going to be sort of like the monkeys that's kind of what you guys were i love the monkeys so it's definitely a yeah that's a great question so we formed as a band first and we were um we put together a little demo and were signed by rca that happened first and and very soon after that uh we were offered a tv show by the, the bbc and the BBC decided to uh, release our first single off the back of the fifth episode. <coughs> Excuse me. So they were they were plugging the first single through the first few episodes, and then they they released the the first single in May 1997. So we we came out as kind of child TV actors first, and then and then became pop stars off the back of that even though we were already in a band yeah nice and and the single was called i'm a man not a boy yes and um it went in at number seven it went in at number seven in the yeah. youtube charts uh and it sold a hundred and two thousand three hundred copies <sighs> and uh you guys were big in malaysia because it went in at number two huh. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, wow where did you get that number from <laughs> <laughs> um so were so were you in the band because um you know word on the street was that mark from a1 was in the band at one point do you remember that oh do you remember i don't that? remember that no okay that is not true that's that not is true. false that's fake news yeah. that's fake news <laughs> so so tell me about the promotion for i'm not a man not a, i mean i'm a man not a boy did you guys just like how did you, like road shows or TV or how did that come about? Was it hard? Yeah, it was really intense. It was really intense. So aside from shooting two seasons of the most popular kids TV show at the time, you know, we were doing the road show circuit. We were traveling all over the United Kingdom doing radio interviews. We were shooting music videos. We were doing photo shoots, TV appearances. Um, on all the all the major TV shows, Top of the Pops, Blue Peter, Big Breakfast, we were we were um, favorites on the Big Breakfast at the time. Denise Van Outen was was um, hosting the show, and they brought us on. I think almost every morning for a couple of weeks when our first single came out. And so we were up at maybe four in the morning to go and do that, and, and it was. It was intense. And then you'd be invited to Anton Deck's album launch party, you know, in the evening. So it was it was really intense, nonstop. Yeah. So uh so you you know, so you uh you're managed by Tom Watkins and he is um you know, he's kind of notorious a little bit, you know. Um yeah. he's uh yeah. he started I mean he was in charge of Wham. Pet Shop Boys, Bross, um, and then E17, and then, you know, two-thirds, Deuce, and J-Pack. So you guys were probably yeah. around the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. How, how was he as a manager? Was he this Bengali that everyone says, or did you guys get, to, like, your image? We'll talk about your image. Did you guys get to choose what you wore, or was it kind of, like, put together for you? Oh, it was it was very much manufactured. You know, there was there was a, a certain style in mind. We all each had our kind of type that we were to fulfill, which was based on who we are. But it was a sort of heightened version of ourselves. So 
similar to the Spice Girls, you know, we had um, our lead singer who was this football playing, um, kind of dark, swarthy, handsome, loud, like big mouth um, lead singer. We had a punk rock guitarist who changed his hair, every color of his hair, every single. We had Sam who was um, kind of the technology guru slash nerdy geeky guy with the crazy glasses. And I was like the suave, sophisticated, kind of posh spice reading books. And uh, yeah, so we, we definitely had our, our little niches that we, niches that we fell into. Nice. Um, what were what were the what was a what was a typical North and South fan? Typical North and South fan. So our fans were really young because of the TV show. So we had a lot of eight-year-old fans, like super young, all the way through eighteen. Mostly girls, but I think we had more male fans than your average boy band because it was we were definitely appealing to the, that children's BBC crowd. Um, so yeah, anything between about eight and 18, probably not much older than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the second single came out and you guys were still doing the show, correct? Or had you guys wrapped the show yet? Yeah. Yeah. The second single came out, um, just a couple of months later and we, we were still, they were still airing the first season oh, okay. of, of No Sweat. And it was called Tarantino's New Star. Yeah, yeah. The original title was Who Do You Think You Are? Then the Spice Girls came out with Who Do You Think You Are? And they decided to change the title of the second single to the second line of the single. Who do you think you are, Tarantino's New Star? <laughs> is, is, that, is that how it goes? I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Listeners, if you can't see this, but I have a very pristine copy of Wow, New Star. One of the few people who who helped it get to number eighteen. <laughs> so, so when it got so when it got to number eighteen, were you guys like were you gutted about that, or was it just sort of like let's just get on with it and go? And see there was definitely a general feeling of disappointment um, among the management and the record label. Um, also. Um, Tom Watkins was sued for, for, for that second single because it resembled the Yazoo track. Looking through a window of love, above it's like a story of love. Oh my Can God. you hear? It's, the melody is almost identical. And he basically probably ripped it off. Maybe he knew he was ripping it off or not, I don't know. But, but um, yeah, we were definitely sued for that. That cannot have helped our cause. Oh, so <laughs> so you got <laughs> um, just play our single. Our manager is working people off, but just go ahead. No. So, um, so you guys did a tour in October. Um, how was that? How was going on tour? Yes. Yeah, so we did our own tour in October, and we supported. Mark Owen, who was uh, the, a member of Take That, we actually supported him on tour in May. And <clears throat> um, 
touring was great because we finally got the opportunity to perform live so the the versions of our songs when we played live sounded different to the actual tracks themselves which was part of what was frustrating about the experience as a as an 18 19 year old even though it was a great time um was that we were putting out this music that was very heavily synthesized and not very live sounding with not many guitars there weren't really many guitar sounds even though we had a guitarist and then so most of the tv shows we would appear on did not have the capacity to let us perform live sometimes we would perform live vocals but when, when we went on on tour our keyboards were live james's guitar was live Lee, lee's lead vocals were live we were singing in three-part harmony i was playing the baritone saxophone the tenor saxophone, I remember. Um, it was kind of like a farting machine with a point notes. Um, and it was fun because, you know, we, we sounded good and especially supporting Marco in where you'd have, we were in three different countries, Italy, Spain, and Germany, and we, we visited 16 Euro European cities and we were on a tour bus and you really felt like, you know, you were on this kind of boy band tour. It was really exciting. Yeah. So you were so you were okay with the whole boy band tag? Oh yeah, I I was okay with it. I I secretly wished we were the kind of boy band that all wore the same clothes and did the same dance routines. I wanted to be in that boy band. <laughs> but we yeah we were not that boy band. We were like a live band boy band, and we were like really proud of that. Yeah. And you know when you guys were when you guys were coming out. Um, that's when it kind of started coming out um, in America, the States Backstreet Boys in sync. So that that's actually the year that it started to hit um, over here um, in America. Because <clears throat> yeah. in, in England, you guys never stop. It's so you guys do it so much. Yeah. Less, <laughs> so much better. With the boy band thing. Just, yeah. Just everything. But that's neither here. <laughs> so the so third single comes out, breathing and and you know yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> look, how new it, look how new it looks look how moody we are in that one <laughs> moody and sexy um <laughs> so were so uh were these 17 still going when you guys came along or were they already done who who's that east 17 were they east still? 17 they were still going they were definitely still going. We we met them as a as a group in, in several management parties. Yeah, they were definitely still going. I forget what year it was that they disbanded. I think, I think it was the, before think, we did. I think it was ninety. It was ninety eight. Well, Tony left. And right. They, okay. And then they did a whole album without him. So. Okay. So. You, you know better than I do. For asking me this question, I think, I know you, should be I think you know the answer already. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm just very prepared. So, um, so breathing comes out, and you know, I mean, did you guys do the same kind of promotion you did for, you know, Man Not a Boy, just like all the TV shows, or did it kind of slow down a little? Um, it slowed down a little bit because we managed to get on top of the pops for both the first two singles. And we didn't the third single. And so I think it was already, uh, I think our number was up, you 
know, our number being number 27, which is uh, breathing top of the charts. And I guess we, we definitely went with the wrong song choice, which is interesting looking back because Tom Watkins had this other song that he wanted to be our third single. Um, it's too late, it's too late. I'm at the I, I don't remember, but anyway, we decided as 18-year-olds, 17 to 19-year-olds, that this song was way too cheesy and we did not want it to be our third single. And we fought to have Breathing be our third single, actually. So our four band members. And, and it didn't work. So yeah, perhaps we should have listened to Tom. God rest his soul. Yeah, I didn't, you know yeah. what, that's funny, I because I interviewed Craig, uh, Craig Young from Deuce a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I know Craig, yeah. And, and as I was doing my research, um, you know, it said that Tom had passed away, and I didn't even know that, um, so. Very recently. Yeah, yeah, like January, I think, January, February. Yeah. So, yeah. so North and South, so you guys, so they gave you a second season of the show, and were you guys happy about that or were you kind of like burnt out by that or what were your feelings around oh i was really happy about it because in the first season we were playing characters and i wasn't even we weren't even playing um ourselves as you know using our own names and then because we had come out and become famous in the uk especially um we were now known as lee james Sam and Tom, and so we we our names changed in the TV show. It's hilarious, and I really liked the second season. We had this uh, tour van, which was a little bit like um, you would. It was this tiny little van, but you would step inside, and it was this kind of giant set. So it had this um, sort of weird, like magical quality to it. And the exciting part of season two for me was that they wrote an episode around a song that I had written called uh, Love at First Sight. It was a song title that was given to me by Tom Watkins. And he asked me to write a song and I did. And they wrote this episode about how my, my character fell in love with a ghost in an old Jacobean mansion. And we were part of some medieval fairy, old medieval instruments, and it was it was really fun. And I got to do a, a scene with this professional actress, kind of walking in the grounds of this beautiful mansion. And they they cut it, they cut the show with live footage from the tour that we did in the UK. So that was our own tour that we did. And they interspersed footage of me playing my song on the piano and singing in front of our fans and, and it was a really special moment and yeah I, I love the second season nice yeah so um so you guys were gonna have an album or you probably it was probably already done and it was called all sorts and um when they told like how did they tell you that it wasn't gonna come out I mean, had you guys like already decided to split and then they said we're not going to put it out or did, what was the No, problem? no, I think, uh, so we would, we, the record company or, or the management company first, I'm not sure, but I do remember going into RCA Records and meeting the band Five 
who did pretty well. They were kind of the next boy band to come along after us, and they they had some hits. They, they they were more successful than we were. But I remember thinking, oh, okay, these guys are now the new RCA boy band, and our time is up. Our shelf life is over. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they, they, they stopped calling us. You know, we, we found out that the record label had decided to cut their losses by not printing and distributing our album. So the album was never released. And, uh, and we were staying in these two apartments that were being paid for by the record label. So I guess they weren't going to be paid for anymore. And here we were. Uh, I was 19, Lee and Sam were 18, James was 17, and we were in London. Um, James and Lee had left school early to, to, to do this. Um, and yeah, and we were just kind of like, okay, now what? And we'd, we'd looked for new management. And we found um, some like D-list manager who was interested in in representing us. And I started to think, okay, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm definitely done. You know, I don't want to be a part of this. I want to go and work in musical theater um, because I hadn't really had a chance to sing in the band apart from singing some backing vocals. And I felt like I just wanted to get on stage and, and sing some uh, sing something like a bit more uh, musical theatery. Nice. And uh, yeah. And so I I approached one of the uh, producers of the TV show and he connected me with a casting agent who who gave me a list of West End agents. And and, and I reached out to them. I sent again a cassette tape of a song that I'd written and performed on the piano and song and um, and a cover letter about the band and everything and and I, I got some meetings with some really great agents and, and then that kind of started the ball rolling with that. Cool. Um, so we're going to take a break and when we come back Tom's going to tell us about post North and South and everything he's been doing since. So keep listening here to Is This Your Playlist? Staying home saves lives. Whether you have COVID-19 or not, stay home. We're in this together. Hashtag alone together. Hey, this is Steve and you're listening to Is This Your Playlist? Hey listeners, thanks for um, sticking with us here. Um, you are listening to Is This Your Playlist? And my name is Kedrick and I have the pleasure of having Tom Lowe from X North and South um, with me interviewing for the uh, 25 year and what they're doing now series for this playlist. So uh, Tom, thank you for joining us from Hawaii. Thanks for having me, 25 years. 
Isn't that so old. Yeah. That's crazy. So, um, so we talked about the band and all the success and, and everything that went with it. So um, let's talk about what you've done after the band. So band splits and then... Yeah, the band splits and here we are in London, a bunch of teenagers with no job and I literally went to the uh, unemployment office and signed on for Job Seekers Allowance. And what, <laughs> what they had me do was to write uh, three things that I was doing every day to try and find work. Um, and before too long, I started auditioning for shows on the, on the West End. I auditioned for Greece and I got a call back for Kinnicky. And they they um, told me my American accent wasn't good enough. <laughs> so then I auditioned for Miss Saigon, and I gave a great audition. I sang a song that I wrote, and I sang Why God Why, sung by the uh, character Chris. And they told me that um, they were they were looking for a Marius and they missed up the street because it's the same people. It was Cameron McIntosh his uh, his office and they uh, snuck me into the seventh round of auditions for Marius and Les Mis up at the Palace Theatre and and uh, I sang Empty Chairs and Empty Tables which is a song that I've been singing my whole life and they asked me if I could hang around and sing it again and they called Cameron McIntosh he came into the Palace Theatre and I sang it again he leapt on the stage and said that rehearsals were going to start on Wednesday I left the theatre, walked down Shaftesbury Avenue, thinking that I, that he just offered me the role of Marius in, in Les Mis. And I, wait, I went back to my apartment in Swiss Cottage and waited for the phone call from the agent. And sure enough, he called me about four hours later and I was just over the moon. Like this was, this was the dream. Like this was the dream, you know? I, I listened to Michael Ball singing the role on, this, on the original London cast and and I kind of imagined myself playing that role as a 13-year-old. So that was that was pretty incredible. I, I like screamed off the side of this balcony and then called my dad and told him and he was so the moon and that was a huge game changer. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And how long how long did you do Late Miz that time? I did uh, I played Marius for 20 months. So I started in uh, September 1998, and I left in April 2000. Okay. Nice. And so what um, what happened after that? So um, the one of the conductors of Les Mis asked me if I would be interested in auditioning for Rum Tom Tonga at Cats, because he was going to be the musical supervisor, and um, and I did, and I and I got it. And I started rehearsals for Cats while I was still performing in Les Mis. And I think there was a maybe a three-week overlap of rehearsals and a couple more weeks of rehearsals. And then I, I played the Rum Tom Togger for 10 months, which took me to February of 2001. Yeah. Yeah. And all this stuff um, is taking place in England, right? In like, London, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how did so how did you get to the states? What was like? What was your motivation? Were you just kind of like over London, or did you just want something new, or what? You know. Yeah, I had this moment where I saw myself doing eight shows a week in these long-running musicals all through my twenties, 
and it terrified me because it was really intense it was really hard work and i was exhausted and um and i wanted to do something that was more intellectually stimulating than doing the same show over eight times a week it just started to feel a bit like a prison sentence i felt like i just wanted to leave that all behind and and try something new and i think what happened was i saw a map of the us on the london underground thought, that's where i would like to pursue my singing career um and obviously as a british citizen you can't just go to america and sing on broadway so i went to my agent and she said no 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 you have to have a green card and that's virtually impossible so um that's when i realized i'd have to apply for college which is something that i had felt i had missed out on my three siblings had all gone to university and i hadn't and and i and so it felt like it was time to kind of go back into the realm of academia and and do that and um so i applied to a whole range of different institutions from like ivy league institutions to state universities just thinking you know let's see where i get in and and i'm like cuz i really want to go and and i thought you know i'll i'll drop out of school and in my first year and go to new york and audition for shows on broadway um and then i got um a 25,000 scholarship to harvard and i was like oh damn okay um and that came while i was in rehearsals for cats so i called harvard <laughs> hey harvard <laughs> hey harvard <laughs> uh, i said would it be cool if i deferred my place for a year because i really want to play this role and they said yeah you're already 4 years older than your class so you'll be 5 years older than your graduating class and so that's fine and so i i ended up moving to the us in august 2001 as a freshman graduate excellent um see listeners he's smart and cute i mean you can't get that that's 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 a rarity anyway i mean i am but i'm just kidding <laughs> so um so uh so after that you know you um you put yourself in this, in the the firing line i mean <laughs> that's um so uh tell me about idol Yeah so my plans to leave school early kind of disappeared because I realized I should probably graduate from Harvard you know so I did uh 4 years later and all my friends were telling me to audition for American Idol and I was like no I can't I've already had a record contract I've been a professional principal actor on the West End like and that's not really the type uh, they're not going to really it's not that type of show and and I don't have a green card so I'm not a viable contender anyway and they were all like oh just go just go and do it so um I was in Miami at the time and the only city left that you could audition in the last city they were going to first round audition for Idol was Seattle and I freaking flew all the way to Seattle and joined 9000 people in the um to the space needle arena or the, the arena there um got my golden ticket 
got into the next round and um, had to go back to the W Hotel, got through the next round, got through the next round. So now it's going to appear in front of Simon Cowell, Randy Jackson, and Paula Abdul. Sang Always and Forever, Luther Vandross style, and got to Hollywood Week. Uh, it was very exciting. Um, and I had kind of bs my way through all the checks saying like do you have a green card and i was like yeah yeah you know like look i'm 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 doing this job right now where i'm hosting a web series for massachusetts tourism which is true so i was i was working in the u.s and i had a work permit um but i didn't have a green card so i was still not a viable contender for american idol even though i had made it to hollywood went to um, Los Angeles in I think it was September of 2006 Did the, went through the whole of Hollywood week, stayed in the Marriott downtown, we, we filmed it at the Orpheum Theater in downtown LA my first time in LA um, and I got through the first round I got through the second round which was a group audition with Blake Lewis as you mentioned before, got through the third round, so now I was in the top 40 contenders and um, during that whole process they did some very rigorous background checks and um, we interviewed with private investigators and psychologists and we did psych tests and, uh, and then we had to wait several months after signing all these non-disclosure agreements to find out who was in the top 24 based on the background checks I didn't make it uh, I came back to LA in January to film that episode. They call it the Green Mile episode. If you have to walk far and find out if you're in the live show. Or not. And so I, I just missed out. They put a flight itinerary back to Boston under my hotel room door. In January, I was like, nah, I'm not going to back to Boston in January. I didn't really have a fixed residence anyway at that time. And that's when I decided to move to LA came out of the Civic Center in Pasadena, saw the palm trees, and was like, okay, this is home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and LA became my home for the next seven years. But, yeah. And so did you, did you just jump right back into musical theater, or did you take some time off to kind of just be an LA guy, or so what were your plans after? after Idol moving to LA, what did you want to do? Uh, I wanted to try my hand at screen acting, if I'm honest. You know, I thought I, I wanted to give that a shot. Um, so, and I thought that I had enough friends there from Harvard, from Idol, from blah, 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 and, and I would be able to kind of get my foot in the door. It turned out a year later, I, it was a tri tricky time to be in LA because there was a writer's strike, and I spent about 18 months just not working and just really not getting anywhere with it. And I and I thought that okay, I'm gonna move back to London, um, but I'll try one last thing. I'll do a mass mailing for an agent. I thought that that would that would be kind of a last straw thing for me to do because of all the friends that I had there. But it turned out I probably should have done that from the beginning because that was when I started to, things started to happen for me in LA. And, and I got cast as 
Enjolras in Les Mis at the Hollywood Bowl, which was really cool because I got to work with some some really awesome people. That, yeah, yeah, the Hollywood Bowl is is definitely a legendary place. Um, I've seen shows there, a lot of them. So um, it's funny that you talked about the writer strike because. <clears throat> Uh, that was a time when I had just left my job that year and mm. um, I was going to get a job at Fox as a temp <clears throat> and then that one fell through because I got sick and so the, so then I was going to go to work for FX Studios as a temp and literally the day that I was supposed to start was the first day of the writer's strike. Uh, so so what happened so what happened was a friend told me that you know uh he says oh do you know this guy mike mike harper and i said no and he goes well he works at trader joe's he's someone you should probably know so i went to the gym saw mike harper and like in the span of like two minutes he said well go in and tell them um that i sent you and uh so i was at trader joe's for 10 years so I guess the writer's strike right. had some good merits. There you go. So, um, all right. So, Les Mis at the Bowl, and then let's let's keep on going. What what did you do? After? Yeah, um, Les Mis at the Bowl was wonderful. You know, because here this here was this show that was so dear to my heart that I'd been in for two years in London, and now I was getting to play a different role, and it was you know, like under the stars and the moon, and and waving the red flag and. I was the apex of the marching arrowhead and singing all these like rebel hero lines. It was incredible in front of 18,000 people. And, um, and you know, I kind of was hoping that that would be um, the beginning of employment for me in LA. But I want to say a whole year went by and I just was, you know, I was auditioning. I was doing the odd voiceover for video games. I had a voiceover agent. I was booking like one in a hundred auditions, which apparently would put me in like the top 10% because you're you're up against like 800 people each time you audition. But that wasn't putting bread on the table. And then I, w I had a commercial agent and I was doing maybe a commercial once a year. Um, some of them were non-union. So like that wasn't, I wasn't really making a living out of that. Um, aside from that, I was, uh, yeah, I was just auditioning and, and the next break I had was, uh, the, the musical Back to Back Rack David. It was directed by, uh, Kathy Jimmy, and it was, uh, there were four of us, four singers. I was the only male singer and we also had Diana DeGamo, who was an, also an Idol alum. And it was a fantastic show. We got to actually work with Bert Bacharach himself and Hal David, who came to rehearsals. And it was a show that had um, originally been formed in New York in the 80s when they were reviving it at the Henry Fonda Music Box Theater on Sunset and Gower. And it was so fun. They had a red carpet event and all these celebs showed up. And I sang Raindrops Keep Falling in my, on My Head in Chinese. And uh, it was a pretty random and amazing, beautiful show that was so beautifully directed and choreographed. And, and the musical arrangements were by Steve Gonderson. Nice. Incredible. Four-part harmonies. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so that happened. That was 2000. And we're in 2009 now, kind of May, May 2009. Um, and that was followed by another pretty long stretch of unemployment, auditioning, not nothing, not really getting anything. Um, and that's when the opportunity to perform in Vegas came along in 2010. <laughs> now, was it, yeah. was, it, was it starting to hit in 2010 yet, or was it still kind of just kind of in its infancy as far as like, you know, having the bigger acts there? Um, how do you mean, was, was it starting um, to hit? Well, because well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you know like the history of Vegas, but um, back in the day, Vegas was where you went at the end of your career. Oh, uh, okay. And so it started to switch. I was just wondering, like when you did it, if it was like yeah. to pick up, because now, you know, you got J-Lo and Britney and Bastard Boys and all the big artists go there. Yeah, know, okay. <laughs> so it, it wasn't really, um, I wasn't really famous enough to go and have my own show in Vegas, you know? It was more, I was I was selected to be part of this show called Vegas The Show, which is still running uh, 10 years later, but um, I was in the original cast tonight, so I, I played um, Frank Sinatra, Tom Jones, Elvis, and Elton John, and I was one of six singers uh, in a show which also had, I think, probably maybe 20 dancers. A great show and has, has done very, very well. And uh, we did 12 shows a week, 7 p.m. and 9 p.m., six days a week. And that was about enough for me. <laughs> four, I think four months of doing that, it was, it was time to come back to L.A. I got really burned out and it's just out every night on the strip you know just enjoying myself and, and, it, and yeah it, that kind of lifestyle does not last long <laughs> no it doesn't <laughs> um so um in my research um it says 2010 you had a cd called back to mine so tell us uh yeah. tell, tell us about that Mr. Yeah, so so all of these years in LA, I had met this uh, producer named Mitchell Delaby, and um, I had approached him with some demos. He uh, gave me this really good rate to record with him, and he was kind of a a big shot in the in the recording industry. He had produced Gino Benelli and Smokey Robinson. And, and, uh, and he was, yeah, he, he, I guess, saw something and produced um, some demos for me, which began as piano vocal demos and then became more fully fledged productions. And by 2010, we had an album of about 12 songs, uh, 10 original songs and, and two covers, which, uh, which we released onto iTunes and Spotify and Amazon. That and, and um, I made a video for the first single with one of my Harvard college buddies, <laughs> Phil. Yay! And it was great. It was um, Phil Hodges directed it, and and it was a stop motion photography video. And we spent six days shooting stills 
and 12 days editing. It was a huge amount of work and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, really fun tune, beautiful production by Mitchell and, and just the coolest video. Yeah, so while I was in Vegas, I got a phone call from one of my old, another one of my old college chums, Romina Garber, who was working in uh, production in Los Angeles. And she um, told me that she had submitted me to host this reality TV show. And it was a music and dance based show. Um, and so I left Vegas and went back to LA to meet with the, the director and yeah they ended up going with me and we put together a sizzle reel in Hollywood and it got picked up by the Oprah Winfrey Network and we, we filmed 10 episodes in 2011 and then it aired in 2012 and it was called Real would take a talented person who was not a professional singer or dancer and we would teach them a routine, singing and dancing routine. And then we would set up a fake real life situation, for example, where they were on a date in a restaurant and suddenly the waiter would come over, but he would have a microphone on his tray and they would take the microphone and the entire scene would turn into this flash mob, um, big musical production number to deliver a certain, a very specific message to their loved one. It could be, will you get back together with me? Will you go out with me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Thank you for your help. And thank you for being there when such and such a person died and blah, blah, blah. Um, it was a great show and I got to host it. And it was really fun because it was a lot of improv acting. Um, so that was a kind of skill set that was really fun to finally put to use because I've been studying improv at uh, Groundling School and had done, I think, four or five classes there already. Yeah, it's it a really fun thing to do. I love the Groundlings. Steve and I used to, Steve and my yeah. ex, we used to go there all the time um, for shows. It's like, I, I couldn't do half of those things because I would just start laughing. <laughs> um, I mean, I acted. I acted when I was younger, um, like before teenage years. But I don't think I can do it. I actually tried out for um, where the bears are. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Abysmal, just abysmal. Uh. I mean, when they asked when they asked me to um, audition, and I looked at them, and I was like, it was kind of a running joke because they came in at Trader Joe's. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I was like, am I a bear? <laughs> <laughs> so my best friend Lily heard that. And so she just took that and she just ran with it. And she's like, am I a bear? Am I a bear? Am I a bear? Who doesn't want to be a bear, right? I'm trying really hard to be a bear, but it's just, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be a bear. You're not, okay. you're, not, you're not eating chicken skin and... Fortunately, there are bears who like non-bears. <laughs> you'd probably be... No. You'd probably be an otter or a muscle bear. 
one of those. Muscle right. bear. I oh. wish I was a muscle bear. I just I've wanted to be one my whole life. It's never happened. Never. Never be, I'll never be a muscle bear. Um, you want to be. <laughs> so uh, so in 2013, across the pond in your in your homeland, um, there was a show that they put out called the Big Reunion. <clears throat> and um, it was where, you know, they would gather bands back together and, you know, sort out all their problems. So first season was five without Jay, which I, I just couldn't get behind because Jay was my favorite. <laughs> mm. I think he was my favorite too. Yeah, was he like the muscly tattooed one? Yeah, he was definitely my favorite. Yeah, we see, and I usually with people when I'm talking about bands and like members, it's usually like like if I say Gary, someone will say Robbie, and if I say Jay, they'll uh -huh. say Richie, and then like, and I usually say, oh well, we'll never fight over men, but we might have to fight. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, <laughs> so it was five bewitched. Uh, the Honeys, in a very interesting configuration. Uh, Atomic Kitten with Carrie Katona back. Oh, wow, that was great. 911. Oh, yeah. And Liberty X. Wow, I love Liberty X. And then Blue came on wow, at the end. Cool. Um, I actually went to the I went to the show. Um, we had third row, and um, it was absolutely amazing. Wow. <laughs> an amazing, just, huh. like, yeah. And watching the show, it was kind of like great, you know, but like the, sh the tour was just so amazing. And so then they did a second series in 2014 and it was kind of a weird thing because it was like half of the bands were missing someone. So okay. it was A1 minus Paul, Damage minus Corey. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Eternal, yeah. Eternal without Louise, which I kind of didn't I mean Ooh. I kind of didn't think she was gonna do it she could have I mean she could have yeah. been cool but she's kind of been gone for so long that it's she's so like I don't even think about that anymore it's like they, yeah so they've they got their own, their own thing yeah and then they yeah. had um um three T <laughs> so everybody was freaking out. They're like, oh my God, Jackson's. I mean, everyone, you could just see them like st <laughs> staring at 3T like, oh my God, your uncle is Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? Because they're like, up, up, up. 3T. And then, yes. and then the other two, I was surprised by this one. Um, do you remember, well, they were out for just like a minute and Simon Cowell had produced them and they were supposed to be the next Spice Girls and they were called Girl Thing. Okay. And they had a song called Last One Standing. Well, they were supposed to be right. they were supposed to be the next Spice Girls, but the current right. Spice Girls weren't done. And Simon put all this money into them, and wow. he calls them he calls them his biggest failure. And it's like, well, don't have a showcase at, at the Eiffel Tower for your band, and don't think that they're yeah. going to go to number one. But you know, these girls, you know, you know how it is when you're young. It's like, oh, I'm going to make you guys stars. And then it doesn't yeah. work out. So, yeah. so yeah. they were on it, and there was a lot of drama. Oh. Them. I mean, for as short of the time as they were together, there was a lot of drama. Ah. And then the fifth band was weird because it's called Fifth Story, but it was a boy band with Adam Rickett, Kavanaugh, Gareth Gates, yeah. 
uh, yeah. Dane, Dane from um, another level, and then um, oh god, um, I can't remember his name. He's from um, Blazing Squad. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so they put them together. Wow. So they put all them these together. different right. Yeah. Wow. So and so at the show they would each sing. I mean, they would all sing one of their songs. You know, like they sing "Breathe Again" and "I Can Make You Feel Good" and "Freak Me." Yeah. And, you know, so it, it yeah, was yeah, kind of, yeah. it was kind of cool and different and weird. <laughs> yeah. So 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 the big reunion. I mean, is there would there be a chance that North and South would get back together, or have you guys gotten back together in the last you know years? Yeah. Split up? We. We have we have reunions every eleven years. So we had an eleven year reunion and a twenty two year reunion. It's just kind of the way it happened. For whatever reason, I think one of us it could have been me was not able to do the ten year, and then twenty yeah. So I think we had a twenty year, but then Lee couldn't make it, so we had a twenty two year. And this was just the four of us in a pub with some friends. Um, yeah, basically just getting drunk and reminiscing um, about the past, you know. In terms of us performing again, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's tricky because I'm rarely in the UK, and when I am, I'm usually just hanging out with my family. Um, so it, it it would have to happen in London. I, I'm not in London that often at all. And we all, you know, we all have to be, it, it was difficult enough to get us all in a pub, you know? <laughs> so who knows? I'm not saying, uh, you know, never say never. I would love to do it. I would love to write with those guys and come up with some some songs and, and, and I would love to do that. That's, I guess it's a question of, of having the time to do it when we all have jobs and, we all have our own lives and we don't live in the same place. You know? And um, you guys were, I mean, you guys were actually on like a, a thread for the second series. You know, they were asking people, who would you like to really? see? Yeah, I saw, I remember seeing you guys on a couple of them actually. So, um, and finally, Bad Boys Inc. were on a lot of them too. And I'm gonna, I'm friends with David. <clears throat> from yeah. It, and he was down to do it, you know, cause he's well, like- maybe. Maybe between you and me, Kedrick, we can make this happen. Oh, I know. You know, you 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 seem sounds like you have like the knowledge. I have the willingness, and I have the the three. I'm in contact with the three other members. So let's let's make it happen. God, don't give me don't give me a project because I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, do you, do you miss that, or do you you know what I'm saying? Well, let me let me ask that again. So if you guys were to get back together, it'd probably be a whole different thing because you guys would be so much in control of what you're singing. And I know that like some bands, when they've gotten back together, they like the fact that there's no person doing the strings. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think now that we're all adults, um, you know, we, we would have creative control. I think we would all have an opportunity to shine you know, in, in our own way, and, and we'd, we'd be singing three-part harmonies and, and playing live instruments, and we'd be performing our original songs, but we'd have to get together and write. 
Yeah. But it's it's not impossible. It's not an impossible thing. And you guys really would be singing I'm a man, not a boy. Because you're not play. Yes. Um so uh, we could do it like a live acoustic version of that. Very poignant. Do you see this orange pin in my hand right here? I do. I'm gonna write. Are you giving me an eye test? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. Yes. Okay. So, um, well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today and being part of my 25 years later thing and um, project. Is it that uh, time already? It is. Oh my goodness. Is. How time flies when you have, when you're talking about yourself. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> I did forget to ask you this. So, you know, if you're if you were to say something to your you know your fans of North and South or whatever, what would you want them to know about you? Um. Well. I would want them to know that I'm happy. I'm loving being in Hawaii during this pandemic. I'm so lucky that I landed here because we have basically escaped the nightmare that many people in New York, LA, England are currently suffering through. So feeling very blessed. And I just met someone. That was my next I just met someone. Yeah, this is his house. I'm in his house. Already living there. (laughs) So yeah, we're like a couple of we're like a couple of lesbians. We met two weeks ago, and I think we've only spent three nights apart since we met. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. uh, I know. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) You just met two weeks, and you already moved in. Wow. I didn't officially move in, but I just. Just the way it's happened, I've ended up staying with him. I think, yeah, every night except for maybe three nights in the last maybe 16 days. But who's counting? Yeah. Well, well, well yeah, had, I, yeah. had I played my cards right, I would have been in England when this hit, and I would have had oh. to stay there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things are not love, great. So. See, I love England. I mean, I know that it's crazy shit going on there, but... You know, let's see, stuck in England. Darn. Um, so let me ask you one silly question. So uh-huh. if you uh, if you won the lottery, mm-hmm. what's the what are the first two things you would do with the money? I would um, <clears throat> set my parents up in a really nice uh, living situation, whatever that may be, and I would probably like put like a bunch of money into a crazy ass music video where I'm performing in drag and it's sort of and it's a song that I've that I've written and it's like full on like dance music dancers and, and disco balls and and, and, and I'd probably I'd, I'd spend like a hundred thousand dollars on a music video. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm so glad I get to choose what I edit out. No. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, like I said, thank you, Tom, for for joining us today. And um, listeners, thank you for listening as you do every week. Um, I am really appreciative. And uh, Mark will be back with me in, in a couple of weeks. 
And uh, thank you for listening to Is This Your Playlist?